Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, well, lovely. Um, yeah, my name's Pete. For those of you that don't know, I see a new, a few fresh faces out there. So my name's Pete. I don't really know what to say about myself. This is me. That's my wife. It's the most important thing in my life. Yeah. There we go. Uh, enough awkward introductions. Um, so I'm going to be preaching from Mark uh, three today, carrying on in our series in Mark. So um, if you want to open your Bibles, then we're going to uh, read Mark 3, verses 20 to 27. So I'll just give you a second to find that. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called them to him, and he said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. No one but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then, indeed, he may plunder his house. So last time in Mark... Uh, where we are so far in the, in the um, Gospel of Mark is that Jesus has called his 12 disciples. He's gone up to the mountaintop, he's prayed, uh, and he's gathered together his 12 apostles. Uh, and he comes down. It doesn't mention it in Mark, but when we read Luke's Gospel, um, after he appoints his 12 apostles, he gives the famous Sermon on the Mount. So we know at, at this point in Mark, that he's now given his Sermon on the Mount. Uh, so he's, him and his disciples, he's preaching, he's giving this amazing sermon. You know, it's like one of the big sermons of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. And his, uh, him and his disciples are praying for everyone, they're preaching, uh, and they're going so hard, they're preaching so hard, they're praying for so many people that they don't get a chance to eat. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I cannot function without food whatsoever. Um, I joke around with my work colleagues because every day, at a, and it is exactly at the same time, it's 41 minutes past 11, I decide at work that I'm hungry and I look at my watch. And every day it's exactly the same time. And for the next hour and 20 minutes, I barely do any work. Sorry if you're listening to this, my boss. But I do no work at all because all I can think about is how much I want to eat my lunch. 11.41, every day I look at my watch. All I can think about is my sandwiches. And you can probably tell, but that's fine. I, and to be honest, I don't know how Jesus does it. Not, not long before this, he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And I can't even skip my lunch. And uh, quite rightly in my mind... Jesus' family decides that he's out of his mind. The audacity to skip his lunch. 
but Jesus is doing what he came here to do, to preach the good news. Elsewhere in the Bible, uh, when Jesus meets the woman at the well, uh, he tells, the, well, this happens. So his disciples are urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus says to them, my food is to do the will of him who has sent me to accomplish his work. What sustains us? For Jesus, it's to do the will of his father. It's no coincidence that earlier in the same story of of the woman at the well, Jesus says to the woman, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But everyone who drinks the water I give to them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give to them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Uh, later on, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Uh, well, after he's, he's fed the 5,000, uh, they come back to him uh, and he says to them, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given to me, but raise them up on the last day. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. The food that sustains Christ is to do the work of the father and to save his people. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And our food, our sustenance, is this, Jesus Christ. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. So Jesus is so busy praying, he's so busy preaching, his disciples are so busy preaching and praying uh, that they're not eating. And his family think that he is deranged, probably as I would do. Sometimes it's not those who actively work against us or oppress us that hold us back. It, It can be our friends and family, and that can be hard. Jesus faced the rejection of the religious and political leaders of the day. And in a way, their hatred of Jesus made sense. He threatened their status quo. But undoubtedly, it was far more painful and challenging for Jesus to deal with the way his own people rejected him. It isn't easy to be profoundly misunderstood as you try and walk with God. The brothers of Jesus didn't believe him until after his resurrection. And during his earthly ministry, they prodded him to prove himself. So part two of of the verses that I've been given. Uh, Where are we? Yeah, part two of of the verses that I've been given, we have the second accusation 
that is brought to Jesus. The first one is from his friends and family saying, you're deranged, Uh, you need to eat. Uh, But the second one is this brought from the scribes from Jerusalem. And they claim that he is possessed by Beelzebub, the, the devil, Satan. And as we've said, Jesus has royally upset the religious institution. At the start of chapter three, after healing on the Sabbath, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against Jesus on how to destroy him. And now we see how they're trying to get to him. This was the first step in their big plot to dispose of Jesus. See, if they, if they tried to kill him straight away, there would have been a revolt. He had so many people following him and everyone loved him. If, it, if they tried to do it now, then the people would be against him. So what they planned to do was discredit him. This was their first smear campaign, if you liked, of Jesus. Uh, David Guzik says, It takes a very hard heart to look at the work of Jesus Christ and say, This is the work of Satan. We might excuse Jesus' own, his own friends and family, for misunderstanding him. But this shows a much worse spiritual condition. To say he is possessed by Beelzebub. And these scribes, uh, they came from Jerusalem. It was a, an official delegation of experts from Jerusalem, from the great uh, Sanhedrin. And they came to examine Jesus' miracles And they came to determine whether Capernaum should be declared as a seduced city, um, prey of an apostate uh, preacher. And they would reckon it rather like Sodom and Gomorrah. And they accused Jesus of being possessed. It's interesting to me that they couldn't excuse away his miracles with logic or reason. It's interesting they couldn't say, oh, it's just smoke and mirrors. Instead, they involuntarily compliment the exceptional power and greatness of Jesus, saying that he's not just possessed by a demon, but he's possessed by Satan himself. That's how powerful they understood Jesus to be. Uh, And in another account of the same story in Luke, it tells us that this accusation comes after a dramatic demonic deliverance. Jesus casts out a demon and then they, as they're watching the scribes, um, they accuse him of being possessed. And Jesus answers them with an absolutely killer response. He starts off by refuting their claim. So he says, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but has an end. He has a simple, logical argument. How can Satan cast out Satan? And then he starts throwing punches. He says this, But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. So to enter a strong man's house, you must first bind the strong man. And then to, to be able to bind a strong man, you have to be stronger than that strong man. Otherwise, he's going to bind up you. To cast out Satan, you have to be stronger than Satan. Jesus is very sneakily speaking in parables 
declaring himself as the Messiah, as the Christ. It is only the Messiah that can bind the power of Satan to save us. Satan is is often referred to as the great accuser or the great adversary. At the end of our days, after we've died and we, we stand on judgment day, we will have to give an account of our lives and we will be accused. We will be accused of every sin we've ever committed and we will be found guilty or potentially found guilty. However, there is a stronger man than the accuser. There is a stronger man than the great adversary. His name is Jesus and he binds Satan and he plunders his house and he takes back what has been taken from us and he hides us in himself. Jesus Christ is the great Messiah and he saves his people. He plunders Satan and binds him. Like both his friends and family who think he is crazy for not eating and the scribes who accuse him of being demon-possessed, it is easy to reject Jesus and so dwell in the house of Satan. Outside of Christ, in fact, we all dwell in the house of Satan. But Jesus Christ plunders his house for us. He binds Satan and calls us his own. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Let's pray. So Father, we thank you that you are the bread of life. You are living water. We thank you that you have bound Satan, that we are free, that we are saved in you, that we are hidden in you, and that we have everything we need. You are our bread, you are our water, you sustain us. Amen. Lovely. Right, over over to the worship team. Thank you, Pete.